calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This is Daddy Kev. You're listening to Rebel Radio. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh? Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. If you've been following along with us, We've been on kind of a long break, but uh, we're back now and have a bunch of exciting interviews to share with you in the weeks ahead. Uh, We've also been uploading episodes pretty much every week to our YouTube channel. So if you want to check out videos of a lot of our old shows, you can get them there. This week, we're on with Daddy Kev, my old friend uh, and a dude who I have a ton of respect for, not only his musical ear and, and taste, but also his uh, his whole get down as far as his business. He's a DJ, producer, label owner, now a distributor. He's also uh, one of the people behind the new Club Night scenario, which is kind of a replacement of Low End Theory, which uh, a lot of you might remember. And Kev's got some amazing lessons. Uh, we talk a lot about music and, and what it what it uh, what it takes to build a career around your love for music. We talk about some of the challenges, what he calls his TMZ moments that he went through with Low End Theory, um, and uh, you know I won't spoil that for you, but but basically being held accountable for the actions of uh, his partner and just going through a, a really trying experience and, and what it looks like on the other side of that. So let's get into it right now with Daddy Kev. for doing this man it's it's uh you know we've been talking about music and shit for years and years so to do it with a mic on is uh is exciting thank you so much for having me on the on the broadcast i appreciate it. it's an honor to do it yeah no of course of course um well look we could probably spend the whole day talking about music because uh, i know our tastes line up a lot and and i every pretty, pretty much every time i talk to you i discover some new shit that i didn't know about um but I do want to talk about you. And so I always like to sort of start at the beginning. Um, do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? Run DMC, Raising Hell. That was the first one. Bought it on vinyl. Yeah. Um, Were you like, uh, I mean, what a great place to start a musical journey, first of all, right? Doesn't get much better than that. Um, my parents might debate that, um, but I think they maybe were hoping I was going to buy a Beatles album or Miles Davis. Yeah. But, you know, rap music, it's been a lifelong love. I mean, I feel like that's what 
sparked it for me. Yeah. I remember my, it was my first day of fifth grade getting on the bus. I used to take the bus to school. Mm-hmm. And there was a new kid on the bus. He was at the very back. His name was Kelvin Brown. And he had a boombox, like on the first day of school. Mm-hmm. And he was playing the Run DMC song. And I don't want to get the title name of the, the Why Don't You Ever Shut Up song. Oh, yeah. Talk too much. Talk too much. Yeah. And it was just something in my brain. It was just, it was so fulfilled mm-hmm. from that music. And I was so enamored um, with everything about it. I just had to know everything. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the fan switch yeah. was activated. Yeah. And thus began, a, thus began a, you know, a lifelong love with, with rap music, hip hop culture. Um, it all started there. I mean, just one thing though, like, you know, you mentioned the boombox, right? And so it's so interesting. Now, you know, we all have music in our pockets. We all have, you know, headphones. But there was something about that time when music was out in the air. And, you know, you know, the homie had a boombox or, you know, you, like, that, uh, there's something slightly different about that than having it in your own ears and you hear it and nobody else does. I mean, the communal music experience, you know? Yeah. There's really no substitute for it. I wish there was. You know, we, I was describing to you, I just started doing shows again. Yeah. You know, and other than just kind of the, the shock of being around other humans, like, again. Sure. Just hearing music again with other people. I mean, oh my God, I missed it so much. Yeah, I missed it so much, I buried it, mm. you know, and tried not to even pretend, like, I don't know, it would make me so sad thinking about it. Sure. But to to, to do it again, to feel it again, uh, um, and love again, you know? Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's amazing, and, and you know, I think that, that club, that festival experience of, like, you know, we're all in it together, um, you know, I think there's there's, like, big life lessons to learn from that and big you know the impact on society that that is needed you know with, with that type of uh perspective right i mean um, i mean i talked to disco donnie about that about you know being in the south and walking into a club for the first time and there's you know gay people straight people all different colors and in the south it's totally segregated and then he's like in this room that could have been in la or new york or you know berlin or or anywhere I mean, when you think about change, one thing that that's become clear to me through the pandemic and through like the civil unrest and everything that's happened in the last you know year and a half mm-hmm. is that we're not we're not going to see the change from politicians. Right. Okay. They're not. There's no one qualified in political office anywhere that I'm aware of who's going to take us there. Um, I think the changes that are needed are going to come from culture. Yeah. And I hope that I hope to be a, a part of that. You know, that that's important to me. Well, look, I think that's the lesson of hip hop, right? Back to you know, is that you know, I don't like. I don't want to get too political, but I don't think the job of politicians is to create change. I think the job of politicians, when it's done right, 
is to embrace the change that's coming from the streets, from people, right? And I think, um, you know, we can argue about whether it should be that way or not, but I think that, you know, for whatever reasons, that's not the situation they're in. And it's always gonna come from us, right? And I think we, we uh, come, we, we tend to like, there's an ebb and flow to when we forget that. And, you know, last year was a time when America woke up and realized, oh yeah, it's on us to like go out and make that change. The early 70s with hip hop was another time, right? In a different, different way, different setting, you know, for that. And, um, and I think that's, that's, you know, what you're talking about, that's the power of music is to spread that word. And whether it's, you know, uh, political change or, you know, how we relate to each other and all of that, right? Um, Especially with young people. Yeah. You know, like yeah, for sure. Music communities can, can really form the backbone of their, of their adolescence, of their young adulthood, of their point of view. Yeah. So, okay, so you get hooked on hip-hop, run DMC. Um, when, when do you become Daddy Kev? Like, <laughs> what is it? Uh, not, not, I don't mean that literally, but like, uh, when do you start making music? I mean, technically, since a child, I played piano for three years. Yeah. Then I did trumpet for six. I became a DJ in junior high. What uh, was the first gig? Well... My first gig would have been probably my, one of my house parties I had done in my house that we would do in the neighborhood. But mm -hmm. my first real gig, God, I can remember this almost like the, yesterday because it was so stressful. It was an Herb Magazine party. No shit. Raymond let me open. Uh -huh. Somehow I convinced him. It was a funky techno tribe party. It okay. was like, like, put me. I show up to the gig. I was so organized, okay? Like, I had the entire set written down on a piece of paper, every record in perfect order with the BPMs, with nice. the pitch, also with the pitch adjustments. Okay? Yeah. Like, everything. And I was so nervous. And, and keep in mind, I was opening, okay? Right. So they had me opening yeah. in the side room. There's literally no, no one in there. There's nobody it's, there. It's security and the bartenders. Yep. This is at old Glam Slam, mm -hmm. uh, where, where mm -hmm. the event was. I was so nervous. Not vertigo. Yes. Yeah. All vertigos. Yeah, yeah. It was like the upstairs side room. Uh -huh. I was so nervous that I couldn't, my hands were shaking that I couldn't even get the needle on the record. Yep. Like it was literally like, and I, and I, after each song, I would go back to my bag, kind of like, be like, okay, Kev, get it together. Like you've done this a million times in your bedroom and mm -hmm. at house parties. Mm -hmm. There's no one here. You're okay. Right. That was the longest set of my life. <laughs> I had to like throw the needle on uh -huh. and then like rewind. Oh, uh, what'd you play? It was all like breakbeat techno stuff, yeah. DJ Dan, you yeah. know, stuff. Yep. Just, just all vinyl, of course, back then. But um, that was my initiation into like, okay. Nice. That was my first gig as Daddy Kev. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah. So, so when, was there a moment when it clicked, when you're like, I could do this, like this is, this is my, my path, my career, I got this. Or does it just, do the jitters just kind of fade away? <laughs> I don't know away if I've ever and, felt that way. Okay. Um, but okay. <laughs> I want to feel that way. <laughs> um, 
I've never stopped. The hunger has never ceased. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing I like to say to young people today is failing spectacularly is my favorite pastime. And because I've done it a bunch. I love it. And I had said that to a friend of a uh, friend of mine, engineer, really great engineer recently. And his response to that was like, so immediate and he said i am so scared of failure mm -hmm. like i don't want to do anything that's not going to succeed <clears throat> and that's such a hypothetical right it's like sure. you know like that that whole idea like let me think of something and let me think of it not succeeding right i, I think that that's human nature and yeah and and that sure. it's I just try to have my, I feel my, perhaps my strongest uh, asset is I do have a level of foresight and that I can have, I can imagine the future well mm -hmm. and, or well enough. And I wish I could give that to more people, to more artists. I um, mean, it's interesting, right? Like the you know the you're right the 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 fear of failure is totally ingrained in our dna it's human nature it's also completely false right it is 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 like you said it's it's a movie that we're playing out in our heads which only exists in our heads right and and, and what i mean by that is like there is no such thing as not failing Right, like it's just not trying, right? Right, and he, and then that's the biggest failure of all, right? And that's the paradox. Is that the right word? Um, right, is that uh, you know the no one is ever undefeated. Do you know what I'm saying? And and like yeah. and some of know, the L's are broadcast bigger than others, sure. right? And I think that I mean at this stage in my life, in my career. I've just learned to embrace it because failing sucks. The moment is horrible sometimes. And the more public it is, the more humiliating it is, the more scarring it is. So can you give me real life, like, you know, going through something and, and bouncing back? I mean, I think the last few years for me represents that. Um, I had one of the biggest nightclubs in the world mm -hmm. and we failed spectacularly I mean we were depending how you look at it on borrowed time for a nightclub you know, so low in theory how, how many cities did you get to I mean we toured all over the US we yeah did, I mean we did all up and down Japan we did full Europe uh, we took it to South Africa um, that's amazing because I knew of it here and I I don't think I realized that you know the four continents scale of it but i think i mean i just you know um again i think failure it's it's you have to learn from it you know and i and i've and i've learned from it and i don't it feels good to get back up mm -hmm. you know it feels good to even have a career in music in sure. 2021 sure um i don't take that for granted 
But it's but I tell you, man. I mean, you know, low in theory, that failing in front of my eyes, just the feeling of helplessness. Yeah. I used to, you know, when the pandemic started, you know, that feeling of like I, I was. I made a joke to my wife. I was like, that feeling that the whole world is feeling right now. Yeah. Welcome to my world. Yeah. Like I like I've, I've been prepared for this. Sure. Uh, things happening completely outside of your control where you where entire things completely fail and businesses fail relationships uh fail um i you know i and for me it was tough because i didn't feel it was my fault mm -hmm. i was just within striking distance but when i look back at it all i can i can realize my fault and different ways i handled the situation we should have stopped low in theory immediately okay like we shouldn't have continued the club how long was that? Oh, we limped along for... The TMZ moment happened in October of 2017. We okay. limped along until... Um, what was our last show? It was August. Yeah. So, okay. Can we talk about that? Sure. So, if, so first of all... You know... You have this TMZ moment. It's catastrophic to what you're building. Yeah. Like brand tainted. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, what's your thought process? You, you know, next week you open doors as if nothing I'm happened. So or I, at that moment, I mean, at that moment, it's all, it's all new, right? The, yeah. the Me Too uh, movement is just forming. Yep. There's no playbook, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what did you I do? was just so, I, my vision at that point became very narrow. Yeah. Um, being in the center of it to a degree, um, it really skewed my, my judgment, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Because this idea that we could actually move past it was so foolish right to, to just but you know you're in that moment Dude, we had a tour we had just announced none of those dates have been canceled yet almost all of them got canceled right um we had acts booked to play low end we were about to celebrate our 11 year anniversary mm -hmm. so when you have all that together and you're like okay well we need we can't just stop it even though i've we should have i get it um I just felt a responsibility to follow through with those shows. And then there was this hope. Yeah. Like I had a hope that, hey, in three months, it will be better. Or six months, it sure. will like, like, we're bigger than this. Did you have anybody to turn to? I turned to attorneys, Yeah. multiple attorneys. That's the best I had at the moment. I mean, I turned yeah. to my friends. Um, I don't think that no one gave me bad advice. Mm -hmm. I just didn't listen. Yeah, look, you know, it's interesting, you know, without hope, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. I mean, we, we wouldn't. And, 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 and I mean that in the sense of like, without hope, there's no entrepreneurship. Because an entrepreneur looks at a blank sheet of paper or a blank plot of land and envisions the thing and then goes out and builds it, right? Fueled by the hope that it's actually gonna work. 
And most of the time you're wrong. Without hope, there's no music. Because somebody sits down at a keyboard or a drum machine or whatever, right? None and of you that hope happens. people are going to like it, right. right? I mean, it's just... It, and, and, and so if you didn't have that hope, you wouldn't start. And at the same time, hope leads us astray. It leads us to continue relationships, continue endeavors that probably shouldn't or need to, right? And, and, and so it's a... It I wouldn't is, even say... I would say mine was so... When I look back at it all, it was just false hope. Like I wasn't thinking clearly. I, yeah, think I, it's, I think that if I, and I try but, to think clearly about as many things as possible, especially business. Right. And I just. So, so today, yeah. what's the, if you look back on that, what's the big lesson that you would, you know, that you use today in, in life and business? Don't get, don't get so emotionally attached that your emotions guide your primary decisions. Yeah. Um, I was so emotionally attached to it. It blinded my brain. I just, I didn't have a brain about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that affected our community in a way. We just, I just, no one foresaw the fallout. Sure. And I think that that's something that I learned that it was, that the fallout, I mean, to be honest, is still going on. Mm -hmm. It's not over. So there's still fallout. Um, and one of my curses is that I have a positive mindset. I believe things, conditions will improve um, uh, or can improve. And I think that when you apply it to a situation where that's not happening, mm -hmm. where a tornado just hit, mm -hmm. and you just need to be like, yo, dude, house just got blown away. Like, you can either come to terms with that as quickly as possible or keep pretending and right. telling yourself that no, and I don't know, I learned about myself that, you know, the myopia, it, apply, it can apply to anyone. It doesn't matter your life experience, right? The more, sure. the more emotionally you are involved with the business, that's, that, I was doing it to a fault. Um, I'm not letting that happen again. Okay. I hope, we'll see. Um, all right. Uh, so, so jump back to, to making music. Yeah. Um, That's what I live to do. Yeah. Uh, what was the first thing you produced that you were, that like, that hit, that made you feel like, you know, that was your thing? Probably... Probably my first real rap album I did, which was Phoenix Orion in '98. Uh, just hearing it, I got to hear it on the radio, like hearing it on KCRW. Yeah. Kevin Lincoln played it. Yeah. That was probably the moment for me where I was like. All right, I think maybe I can be successful as a producer. But prior to that, I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, so many, so much of my origin story has to do with Herb Magazine. I met you there. Yeah. So many mentors, Raymond, Todd, and again yourself. So many people that were instrumental in like raising me. Like I was a kid. You've known me since I was a child. Sure.
17 is when I started as an intern there. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, man, I mean. Well, look, I, you know, I feel blessed, fortunate to be, have been, you know, part of that community. I, I think, you know, it was, it was a time, you know, it was a special time in LA and in culture and, you know, there's this explosion of the underground. You know, we were still in a place in the world where we needed media, we needed print media to help guide us, you know. In our case, it was like showing people shit that they, w they weren't gonna see otherwise, right? Because it wasn't on the radio, it wasn't on MTV, it wasn't, you right. know, playing at the forum. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, very naturally out of that, you just, people started to converge, right? And there was parties and there was people around the office and there was people you meet out in the street, right? And, um, you know, I remember like when we started the massive section, which was in the back of the book. That was one of was, the sections I was, was designing just, too. Yeah. That's right. Um, you know, it was just party pictures, right? It was like our easiest and cheapest, you know, section to put together. And we would meet people out in the streets, out in clubs all the time who were like, yo, I was in Massive, you know. And, and for me, like, that was, a, that was a light bulb moment that really has actually affected my whole approach to marketing and everything I do now is that, like, I mean, now we see it on a mass scale. People want to see themselves. And it was one thing to see, you know, your favorite rapper on the cover of, of the magazine, but to see yourself or your homeboy in that magazine that's a whole different level. And, uh, and now that's the world we're living in. Everybody's Instagram famous or, you know, wants to be or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, my, my, my point. Oh, so here's what I wonder is, where do you find that type of community, that kind of energy today? Uh, you know, so much about the world has changed. Uh, and, we, and, and I think in some ways we don't have those Ten poles. There's no, there's no analog to Herb Magazine in 2021. Nothing even remotely close. The quality of journalism mm. today, if I'm going to give an A to F grade, I'm going to be nice and just say straight fail. <laughs> um, well, it's, 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 it's different. I don't want to write anybody a pass, but... But it's different. And what I mean is like, you know, we used to get that copy, you know, I, I, you know, I was getting word up in the, in the 80s, right? Because the source and urban that didn't exist yet. And, you know, the quality of journalism was probably not great. But my point is like, you're so passionate about this culture. You go home, you read it cover to cover. Right. And you spend time with it and you look at, the, you know, the pictures and even the, you know, we talk about the same with, you know, liner notes and album art, right? And so it, the, the quality was there in part because the interest was there. And now there's no, you know, there's no, th there's no outlet. There's no one willing to pay right. more than minimum wage yeah. for these articles to get written and edited. Sure. So... That's the only thing we can expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is no Dave Tompkins 
of today's generation. Yeah. Okay, there's no Cheo. Right. Okay, there's no Chairman Mao. Mm -hmm. There's no mm -hmm. Jeff, right? There's no Yeah. There's no there's not one that can stand eye to eye with Dave Tompkins, not even remotely close. These guys are writing high school level journalism at best. Sure. And I don't think it's an education issue. I think it's just a pay issue. And ultimately, these guys are not challenging each other. Uh, there's no one in the, the crew of the journalists today who's all like, hey, let's actually concentrate and do right. some like next level journalism. You know? Yeah, and the it, thing, you're right. And the thing about those guys that you just mentioned, you know, it, it, you know, and I, it's like, I don't really fault these kids today. I think they are, you know, they're doing their best they can to grow up and, and live in this crazy ass world that we live in, right? But those people you mentioned today, they're writing books and movies and TV shows and they're creating the culture and they're still being talked about 25 years after they were hustling and doing their thing for, nobody was getting rich at Herb either, right? Because we didn't have any money. We are just, we we're just trying to get some, some streetwear t-shirt companies to pay their, their ad bills, you know what I mean? And get some free t-shirts for your guy Kev. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so I think, you know, it's, here's what I say, you know, it's the same with music, right? We are in a time of more disposable music than ever. True. Somebody told me 400,000 new songs hit Spotify every week now. Here's, I think, a, here's, here's a real stat, or I, that might be the case, but here's a stat to keep in mind. In the year 2002, there was exactly 33,100 albums released in the U.S. Okay. Okay, like just 33,000 different yeah. albums available that year for the whole market. Right. In 2020, there was 1.8 million albums released on Spotify. Insane. So we've just seen this yeah. explosion in the amount of people making music. Yeah. Um, I think it's beautiful because I think making music is such a great way to spend your time. I think it's very, it's, it's an enjoyable process for most. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, for some it's painful if you're making a record for a major label, very painful. <laughs> but if you're making music for fun or, you know, recreationally, mm -hmm. that's really what it's all about anyway. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. I love it, right? Because the industry isn't prepared for what's happening, okay? Like, there's not enough, like, Pitchfork doesn't have the bandwidth to deal with 1.8 million albums. No, nobody does. Nobody does, right? It, it really, I, I do foresee the end of mass media, like that that will happen in our lifetime. Um, that maybe right now you're seeing the last generation of like these global stars mm -hmm. before it fractures. I think like Olivia Rodrigo is about to break every record ever made. Yeah. And then that might be it. Uh, the way it times out, maybe another five years, that's when it's like literally pitchfork barely matters today, mind you. Okay, yeah, like for sure. Here's a story for you I can tell. A few months ago, Pitchfork ran a review of Funkadelic's Maggot Brain. And they gave it a perfect ten. Mm -hmm. Kind of blew up, ran it as a Sunday review, perfect mm -hmm. ten on Pitchfork. Mm -hmm. And you would think, okay, what does that mean then for discovery? Like this big thing just happened. Right, right, right. How much sure. more consumption are we going to see? Right. The next day, because again, we have this great uh, data analytics platform with AlphaPub, we were able to see immediately, like how did that make a difference? So the next morning, before we even looked at the data, I asked Jake Jenkins, head of content ops at AlphaPub, I'm like, all right, you set the over-under. 
like, look, we're going to do just a little yeah. a gentleman's bet. Yeah, yeah. Staff. He said 20 as in $20. Okay. And I was like, I was like, okay, dude, that, that was a very jaded response. <laughs> I'm going to go over because it's a perfect 10 on Pitchfork. I'm going to, I'm going to go over. Sure. It ended up being $19. <laughs> wow. Um, Pitchfork means a lot. I guess if your mom reads Pitchfork or your parents or no, I get it. It, it doesn't I get push. It. And I think the lesson I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of like confirmation bias in the music industry mm -hmm. between publicity, mm -hmm. between coverage, placement. How does it all add up? My favorite metaphor to use is quantum mechanics. It's it cannot be explained on a base level. Right. The music industry. There's too many inconsistent behaviors <coughs> across too many systems, especially separate ones. Right. But and I think there there is a term in physics that I don't know anything about physics, but but there is a thing where they there's congregation at the poles. Right. And so what I mean by that is like <clears throat> you know, the Olivia Rodrigo's I don't know, you may be right. My sense is, at least where we're at now, mm -hmm. is that if you're, that circle is getting smaller and smaller, but the purse, the prize is getting bigger and bigger. Yes. With very, with exceptions of, you know, Michael Jackson, Madonna, right, who are, who are one of a century or one of a generation, right? Now, but, and those names you just mentioned are completely non-competitors <clears throat> in streaming. Right. Like sure, Elvis, sure, sure, sure. Like, right. You want to be shocked and low numbers? Go check out Elvis on Spotify. Yeah. Totally understand. But I think, you know, the, you know, but Travis Scott is a bigger star than, you know, his predecessors yes. could ever be. Yes. Right. And I think if I had to guess, that's going to continue forever, but it'll be fewer and fewer people. I think it's going to continue for finite time. And again, Fair it's, enough. it's arguable. We'll, we'll, but I want to we'll say... Come back on in five years. We'll see yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I want to say the fracture is coming. No. And, and, and that it's and that's going to happen... Is it 10 years? Maybe. But I think it's going to happen within 20, safely, for sure. And and just this idea that... I don't know. I mean, that a, one way... One, a word that is now being used in the industry is like Anglo music. Mm. And that that's just on the way out. Sure. Here's a fact. One of our, I wouldn't even say they're a competitor, they're much bigger than us. One of the biggest independent distributors in the world who competes with us for talent. Mm -hmm. The US is no longer their number one content market. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. What, it's, it's, yeah it's, I mean, it's I, Africa. That's and, definitely happening. And, and this, sure. is a, this is one of the biggest Right. U.S.-based independent distributors there is. Um, so so that's just, it, that, that signals to me that the globalization of music is still, in, we're still in the first inning. Yeah. And there's a lot to happen still. <laughs> um, uh, I think that um, it's just very exciting. So talk about that a little bit, right? Because, you know, as you're talking about the, the industry, there's the industry, right? And then there's... Which I feel I'm a part of now. Well, that's my point, right? Is that, you know, you're a creator, you're a DJ, you're a producer, that, engineer. That's not it. That's me on the outside. Right. I'm now, I'm now other side of it. 
So tell me about that decision when you decided to kind of, you know, move to the dark side and, and like your vision, cause you come from the creative side. Um, so tell me about the vision for Alpha Pup and, and so how it came together and, and what it is now. How it came together was, it was the mid 2000s. I was working at Sony. Um, <clears throat> I saw an opportunity. Um, I thought that doing a distributorship that was based upon quality over quantity was going to be more attractive long term. It turns out that was very correct. Um, but we were thinking about that in 2004, you know, 2005. Yeah. That, you know, iTunes was barely a year old. Spotify sure, sure, didn't sure. even exist yet. You were at Sony Connect, right? That's correct. Yes. Which was going to be their store. I and remember I our, our little uh, uh, Coachella activation. Yeah. I was handing out money back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, the there was a lot of recipients that still there were some deals at the back then. They're still like, dude, Kevin, that, that helped. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I feel like I've always seen the industry for what it is. Uh, I've never had like false ideas about that part of it. I feel today, I have a very well defined role, and that is to be thinking about and cognizant of mechanisms for artists empowerment within the industry, of which there are few. Mm -hmm. right? The industry is designed to take advantage of artists, to exploit copyright, um, to exploit trademark value. And I think that, you know, for so long, I mean, Again, the, I say the industry at large is set up to take advantage of artists, mm -hmm. not just majors. Mm -hmm. It's not sure. just a major label problem. Right, right, right. Indies can be just as aggressive under the false pretense of independence. Of course. So, so here's my question. What is Alpha Pup's place in the industry? What are you trying to do? I mean, fundamentally empower artists. Um, that is the core value. Mm -hmm. um, and to project diversity. Mm -hmm. um, that's very important to me that we have like a very diverse roster. So, so tell me about that. What, you know, you're such a, a, a music guy, you know, and, and, and by that I mean, you know, you have such a strong philosophy, you know, viewpoint on music um, that's both, you know, educated and practical, right? You've done it. With your with your hands and your ears, um, so what do you look for when you're considering an artist to sign? I want to be in love. Yeah, I think that that's that's the emotion we're going for. It can't be like, oh, I kind of like this. You know, the emotion we're going for is like, oh my God, what is that? I need this. This needs. This is in my life now. Okay. Um, so, so where, so then you were saying, and I, and I know you have, you know, you've invested heavily in, in the data side of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we know in, in music and all of media, there's a, some would say an over-reliance on data. Um, so how, where's that balance for you? How do you, you know, how does data fit in to what you just said about being in love? It doesn't fit in at all there. It fits in with our marketing. Okay. I don't rely on any data for A and R. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking for emotional content. Mm -hmm. 
is there emotional value in the song? And if there is, it's going to be my heart telling me that, not, not a computer. And there's a Picasso quote, computers are useless, they can only give you answers. I think that's like... That's great. We... I think music, making music is about asking the questions, mm. right? Yeah. And I can't look to, to, to uh, AI or a data analytics platform to do that for me. However, we can market better. Mm -hmm. We can do ad targeting sure. on a whole nother level. Yeah. That's not even, that's literally not being done. I mean, very little in the industry. Yeah. I think our approaches to it are, are at the forefront. Mm -hmm. I don't foresee a whole lot of innovation and in data, data analytics in the music industry coming from the majors. Uh, there's a lot of politics around data sure. and there's a lot of issues around audit risk and you know, a lot of reasons why they don't want these big data sets out there. Mm -hmm. um, I, for, I see that as a huge competitive advantage that Alpha Pup can have by having a different approach to it yeah. and building tools that give more access, as much access as possible. It, there is a line of like, you know, but I think back to the mission though, right? It's like, there's that part, that's like Alpha Pup industry mission. My mission in the community is to really serve the community, mm -hmm. right? Of like, I don't answer to the industry. Mm -hmm. I'm a part of it but I answer to the community of artists mm -hmm. globally, I feel like, and definitely here in LA. And that's what I'm primarily concerned with in this, my career. Um, and at this point, I've said this to my wife, she doesn't like it sometimes, I'm like, oh, the way I say it, zero plans of saying Alpha Pup while I'm alive now. There's been so much consolidation in distribution business. Mm -hmm. My plan is to die on the indie hill, happily. By not having to report to shareholders, mm -hmm. that gives me a tremendous amount of latitude to make a whole bevy of bad decisions, including giving artists better deals. Right? I can, you know, I can negotiate Spotify, you know, or I can negotiate DSP gross from zero to one hundred mm -hmm. on rate. Mm -hmm. There's not that many like humans that can just do that. Yeah. Um, the, I think that's that power needs to go to artists. You know, it needs to go to artists who are trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me give you an example of that. Recently, one of our, we just did a deal recently with Georgia and Muldrow. We, I'd worked with them in the studio previously and done some work on. Uh, a few years ago on her album on Brain Feeder. Mm -hmm. Prior to us doing that, she had been courted by a bunch of majors. And one in particular, she told me she didn't take many of their phone calls. But one of them, she really wanted them to hear her perspective. And she said that she was down to consider it, but they would have to drop every artist on their roster and only put out music dedicated to black liberation. Wow. which I thought was so badass. <laughs> and I don't know. There's a lot of work to be done still with this music stuff. Sure. 
and, and so so go back to something you said right so I want to put two things together right so on the A&R when you you're, you're you're looking to fall in love and I don't tell artists how to make music either that's okay I don't I I used to I don't now like I just want to be in love and fall in love with their music and not tell them anything right um, so so here's my question we talked earlier about hope and the tendency that you have along with all of us for maybe holding on too long to something that isn't working. So how do you know when to move on from an artist? Never. Okay. I used to think, I wouldn't say that was possible. I mean, in certain instances I was hoping it was possible. <laughs> Um, just considering how toxic artists can be, uh, especially if their career isn't going well. Yeah. Which is a majority. But... Sure, everybody goes through it. You know, in recent years, I've formed a friendship with Dom Was. He had said something to me like two years ago that I still... It crystallized in my mind of just saying like... Because he's, he's been in the industry so long and art dealt with so many artists. and. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's like, you know, man, he's like, sometimes it just takes, it, it just takes time. It can be 10 years before an artist kind of like comes around again. Yeah. And, and you guys are working together again or whatever it is. And it doesn't mean it, it's bad per se. It's just, that's how it's going. Mm -hmm. And I tend to think of life and the artists I work with in kind of a galactic context that people come into my orbit and then we're working and then they leave my orbit mm -hmm. and then but the idea is that they are coming back around again mm -hmm. um i'll say that to sometimes to i mean i can say that plainly now to some to most folks is that entering my orbit is usually good for you if you're an artist it usually means your in, your finances are going to increase i have a good track record there um just because i I do try my best to put as many opportunities on the table for our roster. I'm very active in breaking rack records. So, believe it or not, like if it's a brand new act, yeah, it's usually me pitching Spotify. Personally. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a staff that does that. Right. But if it's someone brand new, it's me doing it. Um, I mean, I think that's a big point, right? And, and uh, you know... I think there's an interesting, like I'm a huge believer in delegation. I think you can't build successful companies if you hold on to everything too much. And that's a fault of a lot of entrepreneurs. I think at the same time, look, you know, I've worked in music. I've, I've helped launch, you know, liquor brands, you know, clothing brands, everything. And those early sales, the founder is always making them. Yeah. So, you know, you're trying to, you know, I'm, you know, you're trying to become the next Grey Goose Vodka. You're out there riding on the trucks with the guys and going and meeting the dude at Ralph's and getting that those first couple sales or the first, you know, like every time. And and if you don't, it doesn't work because no one's going to sell it the way you sell it. Right. And no one's going to make other people fall in love the way you are. I mean, that's part of the calculus. Yeah. 
I just, to your point, I mean, I'm guilty of, of a lot of just micro weed stuff. Yeah. But I think sure. that I'm, I'm in the weeds when it matters. And the real and my, probably one of my most pronounced defects is like that of not being able to delegate certain things well. Yeah. But it's that personal touch that I think gives us the success we've gotten to. And I've just been so used to the brick by brick. I'm so used to the bare knuckle fist fight to mm -hmm. get people to pay attention to music that it's just become part of my nature. It's, it's, it's weird for me to not do it. Yeah. Um, and I think within the club of, you know, people who are, whose opinions on music really can make a big difference on an artist. It's like, I just want to be in touch with that. I want, I sure. want to, I want to be, a, be a faucet for, for money for my guys and, mm -hmm. and lady and women like mm -hmm. our whole roster, everyone non-binary everyone I want to be rich like I'm not a hater at all I want I want I've taught at least a hundred people how to fish out here dude um, I want to do a hundred more at least by the yeah. time I'm done and I think I mean, it's just it's tough man again I I don't envy artists like like the position of being in an artist business it's a hard job so tough yeah um, and I just want their interaction with the industry through me to be as good as it can be. Mm -hmm. There's still plenty of disappointment that will happen once you sign to Alpha Pop, depending mm -hmm. what your expectations are. Mm -hmm. I can't make everyone happy. I can, however, do the best that we can. I know we run a solid shop. Um, I know that I spend more m m time thinking about finance and and getting royalties to artists and anyone I know. Sure. Um, and I put a lot of resources into getting that part right. Still yeah, not yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, but just now we're trying. I want to say it's better than almost anybody, and we're still trying. I never look at it like it's done. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I want to talk about clubs. I know you're excited. Uh, you know, I know you're excited to be throwing events again with Scenario. So yes. I want to talk about that. Um, but even, you know, thinking back to low end theory, um, and, you know, I know we talked about kind of the end of it, but, you know, I know at one point Tom York was playing there, you know, Flying Lotus was a big part of it. Right. Um, so I guess, you know, my question is, you know, when guys like Dad get involved in something, it, it, it becomes much bigger. It starts to take on a life of its own, good and bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've thrown clubs and I've seen what happens when certain people show up and right. And, and the change that makes. So, so, you know, tell me about that and, and how you're bringing that into, to what you're doing now with scenario. Well, I mean, I mean, there's the celebrity element, right? Like big artists playing at a club. Yep. In the case of Tom York, he wanted to do it mm -hmm. like we couldn't have booked him right of course like, we were like i mean that was I a think miracle I it was a miracle that, that, that i read you you pay ten dollars well you pay ten dollars to get in the club right yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. or the members pay five i mean right. it was I mean, no one was making sure it, it was you know it barely right. I mean, it paid for itself and we right, did okay right, but, but tom norris 
he's not playing a ten dollar show anywhere else on earth. Dude, he, he didn't. Those guys don't get. They don't even ask for money. Right. Of Th course. They're just like. Yeah. They were thanking us. Yeah. It's crazy. Um. You know, I think with scenario. I mean, the cel the celebrity element. It's L.A. It's there, right? Like we're 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 sure. we're doing this on a big old set, depending on how you look at it. Yep. And. So we've already had some people already coming through, uh, uh, film, movie uh, folks. But mm -hmm. it's, to me, it's more about creating an artistic community that's like inspired and wants to support each other. Yeah. Right. And I'm more interested in new artists mm -hmm. than established. Mm -hmm. So um, that's just base level. So um, it, it gives me the ability to like kind of build that field of dreams. Uh, you know, where it's just, we're creating an environment where artists want to be on the stage. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a pathway to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm open-minded. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd rather book new people than not. So, which hurts us at the door sometimes. I'm not doing sure things. I mean, there's a lot more sure thing booking you can do sure. uh, than how I approach it. Um, but I can tell you this, here's something different. Um... I'm not going to do another lineup. Uh, I'm not going to do a scenario lineup ever that's all dudes. So Cool. So we've, two out of the last three, we headline women. Yeah. First lineup had two women. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm saying it to you in context of just we're talking about scenario, but yeah. I'm not going on Twitter saying that, mm -hmm. but I've made a commitment to do that. And you're going to see that. I mean, look, I think, I, you know, I get your point about sure things. I also think, like, you know, what we want is someone to take us on a journey, right? And it's back to what we were talking about, you know, about her magazine. We want somebody to take us from the front cover to the back and create an experience there, right? We want someone, when I walk in the door of a club... You know, I got I got the best music collection in the world in my phone. Right. Nobody can fuck with my taste, right? For me. Right. I love that. Pers I mean, that is the that is the perspective. Right. right. So I don't need to. You know, I, I don't need anybody's help with that. Right. Yeah. But what what I can't do on my own is create a communal experience of like-minded people who are having a great night out or the time of their lives or an escape from the everyday or whatever those things are, right? That, you know, when, when, when we walk through that front door, we want a certain level of surrender. And yeah, it's one thing if you, you know, my wife's dying to go see Kygo. She's probably going to go without me, right? Right. Uh, she's going to take a girlfriend and they're going to have a fucking great time, right? Cool. That, right, but you know, but for but, my wife's not really in our community. She does her thing, and we we overlap in other areas, right? For me, you know, I don't necessarily care about seeing the artists play their greatest hits that that I've played at home a thousand times. I've done enough of that, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I do think the, you know the people in your position who are willing to take the risks because you know that there's a payoff there for all of us, 
I think that creates value. And I think, you know, uh, to your point about women, about people that are maybe underrepresented, that have a real contribution to make, that we have, we have been missing out on just because it's not fed to us as easily, right? So I think that's the work to be done. Um, no, I, I, I think there's a ton of that value to be created. And especially after we've all been locked away from each other after a year and a half and who knows how much that's going to continue after all the divisiveness and the media and society, right? Like we need reasons to push all that aside and, and not give a shit for three hours. I love that. I mean, I used to say it low in theory all the time. That's what made us so great. He said you could have all these, this diverse population of ethnicity, yeah. political beliefs, and we're coming together for music. Mm -hmm. And we might disagree on like fundamental political issues, sure, but we can agree that Thundercat is fucking amazing. Yeah, <laughs> right, nah, for sure. And I think that that creates the dialogue. Yeah, maybe we're not that different. Right, and well, look, I, I mean, I have, I have, we have mutual close friends that you know we differ on on big political things sometimes, right? And but you know, I think in part because of music and because of like there's room there to go, yo, you're fucking stupid right now. And that's okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh and I think you know sometimes that's if that's all you see about somebody then there's a barrier to connecting with another human being, right? As opposed to like, yeah, we're, we're two different people. We're not going to line up 100%, you know, whatever. You don't like chocolate, whatever it is. You know what I mean? That's, we, we each have our own things that are unique about us, but, you know, it, but there's, a, there's points where we can unify. And I think today, right, we need to be seeking those points. Yeah, that's right. You know, and it's like, for me as a, a position, position that I'm in, I mean, I'm just trying to enable that. And these days more than ever, I, I am cognizant of just the responsibility there, Yeah. you know, and to That's do it sure. right and to do it, you know, carefully. That's what's up. I know you got a business to run, so I'm gonna do a quick lightning round. Let's do it, lightning and then And then I'm gonna get out of your way. No, this is so much fun, man. I could do this all day. All right, go for it. What's your favorite city to travel to? Tokyo. Uh, just because I love Japan. But yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. Kyoto. I just love Japan. I mean, that's my favorite country. So. Yeah. Um, nah, it's. I mean, I love it? China too, though. You know, so. I always feel when I'm there, when I'm at, like I'm in the future, you know, uh -huh. in like Beijing or being in modern Shanghai, it's like it's like you're in the future and the past at the same time. Especially yeah, the, like Beijing, yeah, Beijing it's like ancient sure. city. Yeah, but yeah, you're in an ancient city, and there's no cash. Right. Right. So <laughs> it's like you know, everyone's mobile out there. And yeah. It's just kind of just a totally interesting 
place and I just love it I mean I think culturally it's just a lot further along than like the United States but it's like um, it's everyone's got their different like every time I come back to the US from Asia I feel mm -hmm. like I'm back in the Stone Ages like mm -hmm. straight up like mm -hmm. Barney Rubble you know and it's just sure it has to do with like how people interact in public on trains in public transportation mm -hmm. just how bad our public transportation is out here right in the US yeah, yeah, it's just insane sure. Um, and that's what I mean by like that whole like Stone Age feeling. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. wait a minute, are we taking a horse home? I mean, that's kind of I feel like that's how LAX should be at this point. Right. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I, I love I love traveling though. Um, my kids are getting older now, so I can't wait to kind of take them with me and show them all around the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, who's your favorite DJ? Probably, I mean, I want to go with DJ Premier. Okay. Just because he's such a, I mean, the production is one thing, but he's just such an excellent DJ. Mm. And I just, I, Crooklyn Cuts. Mm hmm. That mixtape series just, that was the foundation for my conception of what mixed underground rap music should be. Mm. And I just... I'm going to have to go back to that. I just loved that whole series. And um, I'd say as a fan, like mm -hmm. he's my favorite. And it's just because I love his production so much too. It just, it all added up to me. There was a show, an old Unity show I did the flyer for. It would... Remember on the flyer, it was just, I think it was just Big Suge and, or Jerry the Damage and Big Suge. Mm -hmm. But Premier showed up. Nice. He actually came to the, the Herb office that day. Yeah. I remember that day. I think they yeah. came to see you. Um, and they did, yeah, Premier DJ and then Goober got up. Amazing. Um, but just, I mean, here's a question for you Is there a better DJ than DJ Premier? I mean, the, the, like, the, Mike, I'm going to turn it back. Like, it's such an unfair question. It completely. Like, there's, no, there's no right answer. For me, whenever I ask that, the first face in my head is Jeff. Jazzy Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the, there is not a DJ that I've had more fun standing, you know, watching yeah. than Jeff. Premier's incredible. Rich is incredible. Ali is incredible. Right. Uh, fucking My Motion in San Francisco. I mean, Mixmaster, Mike, Hubert. I mean, like, I was raised on the Scratch Pickles, right? So, yeah. like, those guys are, like, my oh, heroes. Yeah. I mean, and then, and then Melody. And then... Hey, Junkies. Like, dude, all I, those like, guys. Like, the list, there's no... I mean, J-Rock. Dude, oh, J-Rock yeah, has sure. to be up there as top for five... Sure. Dead or alive, Definitely. right? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I'll, actually, I might have to change my answer to J Rock just because <clears throat> I don't even think J Rock likes me a whole much. I remember he used to be the te the record buyer at God Funky Town. Yeah, and I'd go in there as a kid. This is the one down in the South Bay, and he was 
Oh, he was never nice to me. Um, and not that I deserve to be nice to, but, and I don't even, yeah, but I, st- but that shows you how much I respect his DJing. Yeah. You know, he's not yeah. a Daddy Kev fan, but, um, <laughs> but I'd have to say he's got to be one of the greatest DJs I've ever seen in my life. You know, live, you know? Yeah. Consistently. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Cut Chemist, right? For sure. Like the real, like real innovators. For sure. Again, all the scratch pickles, but Premiere has always been to me like but I would say something like, different, you know? To, yeah, no, I totally get it. And I, I'm going to get off this because James, this is where... This sorry, is not, we're over time. This is not a very lightning-y uh, discussion of sorry. DJs, but no, no, it's my fault. Uh, but, you know, like also those guys are not better than Danny Tanaglia, you know, with his 12-minute mixing two songs together, right? Or, you know, Kenny and... Louis or like it's just all like there's so many people who make this shit their own and do it their own way and you know that's what's so great about this art um what's the last great book you read guns germs and steel Mm. I was late to that one um I just love I love history yeah um i love the lessons from that book around just like how information technology even on the most basic level of alphabets is Mm -hmm. what will advantage society sure um i've been doing a lot of research recently like you know uh, flying lotus had his uh yusuke netflix show so that kind of once i watched the whole uh uh, first season took me into this kind of like samurai rabbit hole okay so i've been like doing more like sam roots reading more around samurai history and nice there's an odd ufo tale from like the 18th from 19th century with feudal japan which is an interesting one whole other thing we can discuss <laughs> but um what's interesting about the like evolution of japanese society is um Yasu, kind of like one of the main guys who becomes like the founder, mm-hmm. he was able to do so for, of course, there was a lot of fortunate circumstances and being in the right place at the right time. Sure. But the fact that he had children in the right age groups mm-hmm. is what allowed him to take over and become like the first emperor of Japan proper. Interesting. Uh, because he had a line of succession. The, the dude prior to him didn't have that in place and, right. and, and it... And it really, to me, this is a good way to end this. It's like, I've stopped thinking about my legacy. Um, I don't know if it happened after the Grammy win or what. But last year, at the fall, I read this article in the New York Times, also Japanese, about this company that was a thousand years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it lasted through famines, empires. A mochi company mm-hmm. in Kyoto. Wow. And their formula for success was just about building a resilient business, mm-hmm. not being so concerned with expansion, mm-hmm. just being concerned with having cash reserves and that the business was working. That's cool. Um, again, my plan now is that Alpha Pup goes to my children. I have three children. 
Amazing. If this all works out correctly, my timing is just right. I don't think Alpha Pup will see its greatest days under my command. I'm just laying the bricks. My vision is when I'm, I have an issue. You know, my vision is limited by the fact that I only know how to do build things in a linear way. Sure. I don't have it in me to scale well. I don't have that work experience. Mm -hmm. my, well, my, and, and those are different skills. They are. Right? And, and I think that as I've gotten older, I've gotten more to know myself a bit better. Mm -hmm. I'm too, I don't say I'm too late to change, but my hope is that, you know, my wife is probably going to outlive me too, right? She, she's much smarter than I am. And my hope is just that the industry will be ready for the real change in about 10 years. We're still far off. Sure. And sure, sure, sure. that's when I think the artist empowerment dream that I have can come to life. I think we're, we're still far off. But my hope is that by doing a few fundamental things now around the data science, around with DDAX and the bigger consortium of like music metadata that's mm -hmm. happening, these discussions that are happening now that are basically going to put in stone how music is going to be cataloged forever. Yeah. Or for the conceivable future. I just feel like the like I'm doing some basic fighting still. It's my children that will take it to the next level. And love it. That's a and great, that's like great perspective. That's the transition for me from thinking from a legacy yeah. to dynasty. Yeah. Right? And that's how on my best days today I'm thinking about the dynasty. Mm -hmm. My wife encourages me to stay zoomed out. And in doing so as much as I can, I could tell you one thing for sure is that your most important work is your least urgent. Mm -hmm. Keep your eye on the big picture. Yeah, that's that Stephen Covey. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, two more. Uh, what movie have you seen the most in your life? Oh, God. I'm embarrassed to say probably Blues Brothers. <laughs> oh, nice. Just because... <laughs> that was a great movie. That was the first R-rated movie that my parents let my brother and I watch. That's hilarious. And we had it on Betamax, so uh -huh. it was just like... There's very few, and I'll say a close second is Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, okay, there's very few pitches movie. I do when I'm pitching Alpha Pup where I won't reference one of the two. And it can be embarrassing because people won't have seen <laughs> Blues Brothers and I'll just be like, uh, okay, right. there went that one. Yeah, sure. Especially embarrassing. No, I think we're aged out of Blues Brothers. Right, can't. but if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, yeah, yeah, yeah. here's my pitch these days. Um, vote for Pedro. Um, that we offer a different path here. Yeah. And that after I'll say that, I'll usually end it by saying Pedro, oh, Pedro offers protection. Okay. <laughs> and, Fantastic. And I just think that that metaphor, though, yeah. is really what it's about. This is, this is Revenge of the Nerds, dude, in real life. Mm -hmm. And yeah. guys... There's no one in the crew that can tell you a goddamn thing about sports, okay? I don't know what the fuck is going on. These are like real nerds, okay? Like they'd rather play video games right? Yeah, than sure. do anything fucking else. Sure. So, I don't know. To me, it's so glorious that that's even possible. And just know, 
hey man, like, I really do live for music. Yeah. And. So what's up? So I imagine you're a fun guy to work for. Um, what is something I, if I worked at Alpha Pub, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Don't tell Picasso how to paint. That's great. Um, meaning don't tell artists how to do a damn thing. Yeah. Um, love, it. love it. Respect artists. Yeah. Amazing. You know, I say that a lot. But, you know, it's like, it's kind of, I, I, I feel like a broken record. I, I feel that it's more about the action, right? And, and I think... Yeah. But here's the thing, all day long, right? Know? But you know, yes, of course, and I think we're we're you know, we're confronted on a daily basis with, with people who say one thing and do another. Uh, at the same time, you know, you have kids, I have one, and I remember my wife and I, you know, we're like, why do I have to repeat myself over and over, right? And why, you know, can't, you know, I'm tired of telling you the same thing over and. Over. And I was reading some book about parenting and it said you know how often do you tell your kid you love them you don't go oh, i said that once why don't you know it for the rest of your life right and 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 the and the the thing the book said what what's important gets repeated because that's how our brains work right and so i tell all my friends who are parents they're like i'm so tired of no nah, man that's the job yeah it's say, the job for 18 years beyond. say the say the shit that matters forever and embrace that yeah, I mean, that's my hardest job. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think I'm good at it, um, but I'm getting better. And I mean, I think that, you know, I do, I do look at every artist kind of in a similar light as my children. Yeah. Where I feel our responsibility. To yeah, it's, and that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Well, dude, uh, real quick. What's coming up from Alpha Pup that people should be paying attention to? I know so there's a lot. Much. I mean, this. I mean, I'm really excited about the Black Odyssey record. Yeah, it's a great record. I've been bumping it. So I'm really excited Love about it. that. We're just about a month and change away. I feel like that's about to break worldwide. Feels like it. It is happening as we speak. Nice. So, um, you know, I'm excited to meet some new people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the public needs to know I'm open and, and that it's I'm not closed minded. Dope. Um, and that you want to send me some music, it's easy. Daddy Kev at Gmail. And if people want to go out, where where do they find scenario? Currently at Belasco. Um, we're there every Wednesday, but I'm running shows. I got three shows this week in LA, man. We nice. Just, again, Echo Tuesday, we ran uh, Wednesday at Belasco. I'm running Saturday at Regent. So I'm running all Live Nation, just uh, Live Nation only. How do we find it online? Uh, alphapup.io cool dope thank you man thank you brother absolute pleasure honor let's let's do it again that was daddy kev on rebel radio i hope you enjoyed it i know i did make sure you uh hit us up on twitter or instagram facebook or wherever if you got a comment something you want to say uh and check out our episodes on our youtube channel and most importantly come back next week for more rebel radio peace
Talmur is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My gran says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a Storyglass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts.